0: Um, Well, our hearts are especially heavy this week, aren't they? With the um, grief that's rippling in every direction to God and from God's own heart uh, in the aftermath of these horrific shootings and loss of life in our community, we thought we'd spend a few minutes just together uh, reflecting on it and then we'll pray a little bit together. The Bible says in Psalm 34 that God is close to the brokenhearted, and uh, I think that means that He's especially close to us in times like this, and worship on days like today are different uh, and special because of our heightened sense of need for God. And uh, maybe you have sensed that, that this whole tragic uh, event has heightened your awareness of God and need for Him. You know, it's in a storm that you reach for an anchor. And so here we'll gain that anchor strength and uh, find our stability and get our perspective because I think God has things for us to do through this. And um, there's a lot to process, um, a lot of questions. You know, maybe you've asked some of those questions, what, what really happened or how could this happen, why did it happen? a lot of emotions we've probably had a range of them Uh, sadness anger worry fear right a whole range of things maybe all some of them all at once but we're the people of God and you know God's people are no strangers to hard times And this this book is our book and it tells the story of uh, how, how you know, we're no strangers. God is no stranger to the tragedy and comfort. As he's putting this world back together again, we have the promise of restoration coming one day when this kind of thing never happens. But we live in that in-between time where there's still so much suffering and difficulty. And uh, you know, as the people of God, we have just find over and over again in the story of God in the Bible, you find that You reach for God and it's like this unending well, this never uh, running out supply of like cool, refreshing waters that come over grief and sorrow and fear and anger and sadness and just kind of wash with its sense of what God brings into our lives by way of peace and hope and strength and comfort. And those are the things that we want to reach for now. So we want to seek God and... um, Reach out for his strength. But friend, know that. I think that having given us the blessing of God's strength and peace, he's definitely going to send us with it. Because there's someone in your life, in your community, in your school, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, who needs you to bring precisely that. So as we gather together, we want to seek God more deeply than we ever have. Maybe some of us, this is a spiritual wake-up call for us. But instead of just being filled, I'm just reminding us, be ready. Now is our time to be the hands and the feet. Don't just be blessed, but go be a blessing. Don't just be strengthened. Bring strength this week. Encourage and help point people uh, to the anchor. Now many have asked, just by way of practicality, uh, what, what can we do, what is the church doing? And the answer is, a lot. Uh, you're probably aware, for example, that we are hosting uh, both of the visitations, all four days of the visitation for both of the officers, and hosting the funeral on Wednesday, and uh, participating in the funeral on Saturday. So that's one big way. um, We're honored to be able to do that, to participate with all the faith communities in our community, but to have a special honor of of hosting it um, is, is a privilege for us to be able to serve in that way. They've reminded us to share with everyone that if you're planning on doing some of the visitation or anything like that, to please try to attend those on Tuesday and Friday um, in the daytime, if possible, because it's just going to be kind of crazy, they expect, in the evening. So Tuesday and Friday in daytime. Um, we've put out some notice and over 300 people have signed up to help staff uh, the welcome and the greeting and the sort of hospitality so we can put out the right welcome for all of those people who are here on our campus. We think most of those roles are, are taken care of. You're aware maybe that on Saturday, 200 uh, people gathered and put together beautiful little care packages and notes and all kinds of nice gifts and things and then delivered them to the firehouses in our community and to the Sheriff's Department and other places and it was a blessing to everyone who made them and who delivered them. and. All of that. Uh, there'll be lots of other things like that uh, that you'll hear about around the community. We don't need to probably organize very much. Um, you're aware that there's a family benevolence fund that has been created. If you want to know about that, you go to hartfordsheriff.org and they will direct you to how you can contribute to that for the families of the deceased. Um, if you have other questions, there's a phone number the sheriff's department is putting out. It's 838 5800 if you have questions about that. But this, this question about what is the church doing? Well, the answer, in many ways, remains to be seen and shown by how we live our lives wherever God puts us this week. This is our community He's sent us to. And it's not just when we get together and do corporate acts of service like hosting a funeral. It's when we go be the church, when you go be Christ, the hands and feet of Christ this week, that will answer the question, what is the church going to do? So, Even as we're broken and wounded and finding our strength, we go as wounded healers and I want to encourage you to do that. To bring words of hope, comfort, strength. Be a non-anxious presence wherever God sends you this week and be on mission. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. And now's the time to do that. And most of all, pray. Let's pray together. Shall we do that? God, these are days that feel dark, and so we ask for your light and your love and your hope to infuse us and our community. Your word says that you're a stronghold. You're a strong tower of refuge that we can run to and hide behind. So we do that now, God. We want to find our strength, find our safety in you. I want to cling to you, a rock that is higher than we are, and pull ourselves up to a perspective so we can get a better handle on what's really happening and see things in a big light. Protect us, Lord, under the shadow of your wings. And our prayers especially, Lord, our heartfelt prayers are for the families of those whose lives are now lost. The families of these public servants the family of this troubled man who is gone and his family. Lord, we need a shepherd. We need a gentle shepherd. We could use some green pastures and quiet waters. Your word says that when we find ourselves right where we are, walking through a valley of death, that even there, you are with us. So we pray, God... Will you be with the family of Pat Daly? The family of Mark Logsdon? Their loved ones, those closest to them, feeling the greatest loss. They're in the valley of the shadow of death. God, be with them. God, when you showed up at the grave of Lazarus, you wept with that family there. And we're asking you to weep with these families, even as we weep with them, so they can feel your heart of love for them, and our solidarity with them our sorrow over their loss we pray that you would bring strength and hope and comfort and courage to the sheriff's department to sheriff gailer to all the deputies and to their spouses whose hearts are afraid to those in that special fraternal bond uh, of all of our public servants especially law enforcement the troopers, the city cops, all those whose families feel a connection through this, firefighters, EMTs, even uh, Marines and Army and others who experience a kind of special vulnerability and at the same time a, a special bond. We pray for them, Lord. We pray for those who are at Panera, the kids who are out of school that day going for a snack with their parents several mountain people who were in that room so close and feeling so traumatized by it. The workers who were there. The people in the senior center. Our entire community, God, will you draw us together and draw us to you and help us to be still in the midst of this storm to know that you are God, our anchor. Your word says that we can lift our eyes to the hills and ask, where is our help going to come from? And we know the answer, Lord. It comes from you, the maker of heaven and earth. And so we turn to you, God, you who does not sleep or slumber. You never go off duty. You never are done serving us and being there for us. And so we call on you now and reach for your strength, and we ask for you to fill us with your Holy Spirit and send us out of here with courage enough to be your hands and feet wherever you put us as your healers this week we trust you to bring something good even out of this awful and evil and we trust you for all things in your sovereign name and we ask it in the name of Jesus we ask you to be a good good father to all who need it especially today in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said amen
1: my name is DJ and I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic and addict I'm an only child I am the only child of two alcoholic parents. My mother and father died as a direct result of alcoholism. Uh, My mother was not a very nice person when she drank, and I always told myself that if I ever drank, I'd never be like her. And actually, I was worse. Don't ever remember her being arrested. Don't ever remember her losing a job. And both of those things happened to me as a direct result of my alcoholism. My father, on the other hand, was a very jovial kind of alcoholic. He was one of those Friday-Saturday kind of guys. He liked to play cards, he liked to dance, couldn't dance a lick, Um, but he was one of those people that I didn't mind being around. I actually trusted him. I was afraid of my mother when she drank. She was a very mean, uh, verbally and physically abusive alcoholic. Um, she was a very, very evil, um, unhappy woman. Uh, my parents separated when I was about five. And my father really hoped that I didn't remember the morning that my mother pulled the gun out on him because I was only five years old. But I could never forget that. And I could never get him to explain to me what happened. His response was always, oh kiddo, you don't remember that. What are you talking about? Um, I started uh, using drugs and alcohol at a very early age. Um, I had my first full-blown hangover at the age of eight years old. And that full-blown hangover happened on a Christmas Eve. Um, I lost everything as a result of my alcoholism and my drug abuse. And my mother died as a direct result of her alcoholism at the age of 48. And I came into recovery at the age of 48. And so one day at a time, one leg at a time, one step at a time, I was able to reach out. And a lot of the people that I reached out to were the people in Celebrate Recovery. I didn't really want to go there, but I had to because I was working in a place where it was mandatory. And I fell in love with the group of people there. I fell in love with the fact that these folks loved me and accepted me for who I was, regardless of whether I accepted myself or not. And in their own way, they each told me to just keep coming and that they would continue to love me until I learned to love myself. Uh, My last drink was on May 10th, uh, 2008. I've had some rough spots over the last couple months. I've lost a man that I've called Poppy for the last 35 years. I've called him Poppy and I've called his wife, who happens to be my mother's youngest sister, Mommy. And I found out about four years ago that those two people prayed for me constantly. They never judged me. They never hammered me. They never told me to get to church. They simply prayed for me. And when they got the phone call that day that my life had totally changed and that I was now going to church because I wanted to, I was being baptized because I wanted to, I think they felt an overjoy that their prayers had been answered and that their child had come home. Thank God that God is the God of dysfunctional families. Amen.
0: Hey, Mountain. Good to see you. Glad you're here, if you're a guest, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. We're, we're, we're in a series of messages from God's Word we're kind of working through. It's called God for the Rest of Us. It contains this kind of amazing surprising to a lot of us truth that turns out God isn't really just a God who has kind of plays favorites and, and, and is for certain people, but God is a God for the rest of us. And we've been looking week by week how he's even a God for the broken or the stuck or the addicted. We talked a couple weeks ago. Last week, Vince Antonucci reminded us that, that he's a God for, for those who feel really unlovable. Next week, we'll talk about how God is a God for the skeptics, the doubters, those atheists. And then we're going to look the week after that about just what about this whole deal of someone who's maybe been really just turned off by church. Maybe that's you. Some Christian's done you wrong or the church makes you sick or whatever it might be. We're going to talk about that. Today, today, we're going to talk about dysfunctional families. Here we go. You're like, oh, great. Look who I'm sitting next to. This is going to be a mess. How many of you appreciated Vince last week? I know a lot of you are here to to see him and hear him. He says, hey... He loved his time here. Thanks for hanging out with him and being so gracious to him. You probably figured out in his, the way he talked that Vince has a little bit of a rough background himself. Um, maybe you have understood or read some of the things he's written, but you know, his dad was a, um, a gambler, a con man, really, wanted by the FBI. So, so many times in life, he would come, Vince would have come home from school, there'd be a, a truck out front and they'd be like, get everything, you got you know, an hour to get stuff in, we're leaving. And he never had a chance to say goodbye. They did that dozens of times in his lifetime growing up. And uh, one such time happened when he was seven years old. Uh, all of a sudden there was a truck out front and packed up and it's like, get in, we're leaving. And they lived in New Jersey and so his mom and his sister were in another car going and they didn't even know where they were going, weren't really told. Um, and he's seven years old with his dad in a rented truck full of stuff and there they go down the road. They stop at a uh, truck stop uh, for something to eat. And he notices that his dad's always talking to the waitress, talking to the waitress, talking to the waitress. He's you know, too young to know what's going on. And then they go across the parking lot after they eat to um, stay in a motel. And that's when his dad tells him uh, that he'll be staying alone that night. And uh, he's seven years old, you know. He's a protest. He says, I'm I'm afraid. I don't want to stay alone. I'm too young to stay by myself. And his dad says, you'll be all right. Shoves him in there and locks the door. He hadn't really figured out at that age that something that his dad said he had to do probably had to, you know, was to do with that waitress. And, uh, you know, Vince says as he looks back on that, I don't know what was the most painful thing, being alone and afraid, or knowing that my father would belittle me for being afraid when he got back, or the thought that he might not come back at all. Part of me hoped he wouldn't. I would love never to have seen him again, but no one knew where I was and what would happen to me. So Vince didn't want to wait to find out, and so that night he decided that he didn't want to live like that anymore with that kind of fear and uncertainty in his life. He took one of those old glass ashtrays, seven-year-old boy, threw it in the bathtub, broke it up in a hundred shards, and took one of those big jagged edges and had the intention of slitting his wrist to end his life. He couldn't go through with it. He didn't commit to that, and here's a kid who hates his life so much, he wants to die, but now he, he hates himself for not being strong enough to make it happen, so much pain, and felt pathetic. So he feverishly cleans up all the glass, flushes it all down the toilet, works into the night so his dad would never know. His dad shows up in the morning, acts like nothing's no big deal, and uh, he acted like it was no big deal to be alone. They got in the truck and they just motored down the road as if nothing had happened. And it's when you have an event like that in your life and you look back on it, Vince says, you know, looking back on that experience kind of helped me identify that maybe I had a little dysfunction in my family. And that's really what it, what we're, what's necessary for all of us is to kind of objectively look back on things that were, that seemed normal at the time, but we recognize over time that maybe they, they are, they've had a shaping influence on us, but they weren't maybe the healthiest. Because there are scars that come to us in certain ways. What I, I love talking to Vince because he's so transparent about how that's affected him. He'll t- say openly, you know, I think I struggled with self-esteem for years because of that. I've always wondered if I could ever really be loved by anyone. Would I ever be a good husband or father because of, I, didn't ha- I didn't know what that even looked like? The one person who was obligated to love him couldn't manage to do it. How, how am I going to do that for someone else? Am I too broken to be used by God or to, am I disqualified? You know, all these questions and see, that, that, that's, that's his story. What's your story? Because everybody's got a story. A story of dysfunction even when you think about it, right? What's your story? even the healthiest among us. Because the, the word dysfunction just means something isn't working right, okay? It's, uh, it's not healthy. There's a behavior or an attitude or something about it that's kind of broken or not working very well. So if you have gastrointestinal dysfunction this morning, okay, your stomach aches, and everyone around you probably already knows this. So that, that, okay, And so when you take that word dysfunction, you apply it to a family, you're talking about, okay, that family's got some unhealthy attitudes, behaviors that are in that family. They're kind of baked in, and they think it's normal. Okay? And so they can be little things like, you know, arguing over whether you squeeze the toothpaste at the top or at the bottom how you're supposed to, Um, (laughs) or big things like you, you, you see in, in Vince's story, but here's the deal. Dysfunction comes from sin, and, and therefore all of us are part of it. Dysfunction is just a sort of manifestation of some of what's broken in the, in the universe. God created everything great, sweet deal at the beginning, and it's going to be great when he puts it all together one day. But in the in-between time, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray and done our own thing, and in a way we've rebelled against God's perfect intentions for our lives, and it's why we have dysfunction in us, the seeds of dysfunction in others. G- what I'm saying is you're messed up. You're a piece so work. And then yeah, some of us go marry someone else who's equally messed up and screwed up. And then we get together and call it marriage. And then we have kids. Guess what that's like? And the whole thing is called dysfunctional family. This is a real pick me up so far, isn't it? But that, that's really the truth, isn't it? That's kind of that's what we're talking about. Just, you ever just look around at the dinner table and just say, we are just whacked. Do you ever, you ever have that? Or is that just my family? Wow. I, ho- I, I, I hope it's you. You ever feel I love what George Burns says? He says happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. <laughs> or Mary Kerr has, it, Kerr has it right. She says I think a dysfunctional family is any family with more than one person in it. Probably onto something there, right? She's right. Every family is jacked up. Okay, we just got to admit that, acknowledge that. We're all in this together. Take a look at this picture. I love this picture. This is the convention this is the adult children of normal parents annual convention. <laughs> and those two people are so goofed up they don't even know they don't. they shouldn't be there. <laughs> right? That's why we like watching reality television where we can watch these highly public dysfunctional families fall apart in front of us and feel slightly better about our very private families that are falling apart behind closed doors, right? That's why that's why we do that. Every family is jacked up in certain ways, right? Can't wait for the day when, you know, one of my kids brings their future spouse home and says, here, meet the folks. You know, here we go. Now you can see why I'm so weird. Because that's, that's how it works. It transfers that way. Raise your hand if you know a dysfunctional family. Uh-huh. Yep. Go ahead and point to them if they're in the room. Okay. Go ahead and point to yourself. Because church folk, right? Hey, I love this cartoon. This is a great cartoon. It says, my family should come with a warning label. And it's true, when you date someone, just like, you know, get it over with at the beginning. It's like, but notice they're coming out of church, because church folk are dysfunctional. In many ways, more dysfunctional than other screwed up people. And, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people are surprised to discover that even in the Bible, virtually every family you come across is not perfect and has a share of dysfunction. Some of you are like, oh no, the, the family's in the Bible, that's the examples and the models. It's like, okay, you do your homework. You go find me a perfect family in the Bible and not dysfunctional family, you email me this week and tell me who it is, okay? Good luck. Don't yeah, have, a, have a good week. Okay? Because there aren't any. I love that. Because the Bible's Real. Even the first family. I mean, Adam and Eve are crying out loud. God says, let's do this human thing. Let's make humans. Adam, Eve, put them together. I'll give you everything. Give you garden. You're perfect with me. You're perfect with each other. Good. Now ready, go. You're on your own. How does it go? You can't even say Barton Homer Simpson before it's all screwed up on the page of the first page of the Bible. I mean, she's like blaming him and she's, she's running off doing stuff without you know, him. He's blaming her. And then they have kids and they, one them, they kill each other. I mean, so that's a good start, isn't it? And that's our parents no wonder we're all jacked up all the heroes of the bible the same way look at their families abraham isaac jacob moses all of them you know even jesus had a lot of strangeness in his family when you think about it it wasn't a sort of normal little nuclear oh was it no it wasn't someone says to me you know what i feel so bad i just wonder what i've lost because my parents weren't even married when i was conceived and i feel like that's just And jesus like yeah me too Jesus walked a mile in our shoes. He didn't just stay in heaven sort of talking down from heaven giving us family advice. He got down in the muck and the mire, became flesh and became not just part of us but part of a dysfunctional family. You say He grew up in a close-knit, extremely religious community that labeled people, you know, demanded certain kind of behavior and anyone who stepped outside that religious behavior wasn't tolerated. Jesus like, me too. You, you were called the bastard kid? Jesus like, me too. Maybe your family moved a lot or with the military or whatever or like Vince was on the run. When Jesus was born, there was a paranoid king who tried to, wanted, to, wanted to kill him. And they had to go running for their lives and hiding, live their life in hiding. That's how Jesus started. Maybe one of your parents was gone a lot were um, absent in other ways or just kind of emotionally Not there. Or you felt some sense of abandonment or just wish they were there for you. That's what happened to Vince. His dad took off when he was age 11 and never came back that time. And some of us have that sense of detachment or even a parent was in the home, just wasn't there. But Jesus, you know, we don't hear anything about Joseph after the birth narratives. He wasn't there. I don't know if he died or what happened. The Bible doesn't really say. But Jesus grew up without, if there was an influence of Joseph in his life growing up, we don't know about it. Maybe you didn't grow up in a home that was super supportive and believed in you, where if you stepped out, they would say, hey, you can do it. We're behind you. We're for you all the way. Maybe you didn't grow up in a home like that. A lot of us didn't. You know, Jesus one day, when his ministry finally went public, he's teaching one day in public in front of a bunch of people, and his family, his mother and sisters walk in, and they kind of say, "Ah, excuse us. He's lost his mind. Jesus, get in the car. Sorry, everyone. Can you believe that? Jesus is like, are you kidding me right now? Ma, what do you, I mean, the angels come and announce the birth. You get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I mean, these wise guys bring, bring three gifts and I turn water to wine and a wine. What do I got to do, ma? It was less than perfect. And I think when the Bible says Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, maybe one thing he was acquainted with is somehow just the awkwardness and the discomfort and the, 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 whatever it's like to just long for a, a, a human family that's perfect, but it's not. I always like to imagine what Jesus' brothers felt about him. <laughs> you know, you ever, had the, have, ever have the overachieving <laughs> uh, brother in your family? It's like, oh, great. Why can't you be like your brother Jesus? <laughs> I'm just saying, his family wasn't perfect either. And so one of the things we always look at here is this idea of family of origin. Okay, family of origin. That's that place, that home base for us. In our years, when we're doing most of our developmental journey, our formation years, because it's there that we begin to answer fundamental questions about ourselves, who we are, questions of identity, how we communicate, what's normal by way of um, love and intimacy and connection. And the things that are in our family become for us normal in those years, whether you trust people or not, our sense of belonging, all of these things. Our pastoral care and counselor guy here on staff, Don Fouts, says that there's three huge fundamental questions that everyone's looking at their world to have answered as they're young and growing up. One, is my world safe or is it kind of chaotic and do I feel fear all the time? And number two, is, is my world trustworthy and consistent or is it chaotic and, and so sort of unpredictable and that's very unsettling and has a lot of impact on us as we grow up. And third, you know, am I loved? Am I wanted? Am I a part of this thing that matters or am I forgotten? <clears throat> Eric Sunquist, who um, works uh, leads Safe Harbor Counseling uh, says that one, one of the big questions is to ask yourself You know, where did I turn for comfort? When when I'm a child, I begin to ask, who will comfort me? And how I answer that question shapes a lot about who you are. And so what we're invited, all of us, to do, if you want to grow up and get mature, we begin to look really honestly in the mirror and to uh, kind of assess our family of origin. And you... Look at and identify the good things that came, no matter how screwed up it was. It was there was some good there. Maybe it was a good work ethic or, or you know, family togetherness or um, appreciation for the outdoors, whatever it might be. You, you have to honor and value that and recognize that is a shaping influence that's part of your life. And at the same time, and this is what's harder for a lot of us, is to identify what wasn't so good. Those shaping influences that for you became normal baked into who you are but now you're recognizing in your moments of daring and maturity that they're probably not very healthy and that if you're gonna go where God needs you to go and wants you to go and help you become who you're meant to become you're gonna have to move past those things even though they were a limiter to you in certain ways about how you act think or feel or behave so some of the classic sources and signs of dysfunction family let's go through those that'll be fun Let's go through some of the ones, and you kind of just think about your own life and family and understanding of of things. One of the classics is abuse, of course. Wherever there's abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, any kind of abuse like that, belittling when someone overpowers you, whatever, they have a dramatic lifelong impact, often in the way we feel about ourselves and look at the world and are able to attach to others in healthy ways. Absence is another big one. When a parent, for example, is gone a lot, travels a lot, or doesn't attach when they are home, it can create this kind of unnerving sense. A kid is hungry and he's going to latch on to someone somehow. And so this abandonment feeling in a child is a huge deal can affect your ability to attach later in life. Sometimes you meet people. They are, they're always like smothering people. They're glomming on because they're afraid someone's going to leave them. Or they take the other tack and they, they don't have good relationships at all because they just figure it's, that's the way you do life. You don't, you don't ever get close to people. And that's not healthy either. Addiction is another obvious big one. Addiction, you know, it controls people more than the addict wants to admit and so an addicted parent for example is giving all kinds of energy and time and love if you will that's meant for a child is instead giving it to the addiction and uh... so that creates a, a certain dynamic in a in a home if you got an alcoholic and you never know when they're gonna show up drunk spoil the party or Someone's going to gamble away the funds or whatever. It's a huge spin-off factor. Anger is where everyone's walking on eggshells, wondering when the next blow-up's going to happen. And you learn just to kind of keep everything, don't make any conflict, you know. Or control, where someone's just super, like, this is the way it's going to be, this is the way you're going to be. It, it, It can create a sort of manipulating thing. All the Italians understand what it's like to be made feel guilty about stuff, right? Well, there you go. There's your dysfunction. You got one. You identified one. A super jealous spouse or an overbearing demanding parent uh, all this can kind of emotionally stunt you right because you, you 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 never feel entitled to have an opinion of your own in that kind of controlling environment and so later when you're asked to have an opinion you don't know how to do it you don't even know you don't think you count you can't find it in there you don't even know what you think Conflict can be obvious, lots of yelling and screaming and going on, or sometimes just passive, kind of passive-aggressive, silent treatment, you know, kind of conflict. You know, every family has conflict. It's how you deal with it that makes it healthy or unhealthy, right? Or detachment. Detachment family that's really detached. Everyone just kind of goes to their own corners. They're not really, no shared identity. They're very disjointed. No emotional bonding. Or the opposite. An enmeshed family where they're so glommed together and they're not allowed to even be individuals. They're just smothered. And, and, and then later they, they think that's normal and everyone they, just kind of wants to get away from them because they just want to smother everybody. Or perfectionism. It's another dysfunction. We have these unrealistic expectations that you impose on everyone around you. No one can live up to it. So everyone feels inadequate. Like you're perpetually disappointed in them all the time. Because perfectionism is there. So you feel the sense to perform. And, and the only way to have value and worth is if you're good enough. And you achieve all this stuff and all of that. Poor communication where we don't talk. Or we don't learn to share in ways that are non-combative what our feelings actually are. Because we just never learned it. And we're still not, not going to learn it. And see, when these things weave their way through our families, they keep us from flourishing. They keep us from maturing. They keep us from being able to love God with our whole heart and love people with our whole heart and serve the world. That's that's what a disciple is meant to do, y'all. You can't grow where God needs you to go if you don't let God lead you past where your dysfunctional family may lead you. And so the steps out, let me just give you a kind of sequence that is a healthy healing thing. You talk to any godly counselor. Some of you need to go to a good godly counselor and get started on this. Here's the process I think they would lead you through. One, number one, here it is. It starts right here for all of us. This is everybody, not just the whacked out person next to you. This is you. All of us, we need to start with owning it. Own it. Name it. Identify it. Try to get at least the beginnings of clarity about What's an objective reality about the background that you have? What's something you inherited? The good and the not so good. You've got to name it and own it. And this is hard. Hard for people with pretty good families like mine. I don't want to dishonor anyone. I don't want to you know, throw anyone under the bus. Or I want to be grateful for it. But you know what? And I, I've got to learn to own it. And if I had a really, really bad family, it's hard for us to, to, name, to name it too because we've learned to shove it so far down that we don't ever want to talk about it. It's too painful. But all of us have to come to the place where we can name it and own it. Number two, then, we bring it. Bring it to Jesus. Once you have it, you can say, okay, here it is. This is who I am. And then, here it is, Lord. Now I need you to help me, and I need you to do something with it. Friend, here's, here's what I want to tell you. Every hole that a dysfunctional family kind of creates in us, Jesus can fill it. But only if you bring it. Only if you can name it, own it, and then bring it to Jesus and say okay I, I think this is where I am and he's, he's the one who can fill." you know when when you when you suffer with a family that that has abuse he's the one who says but I love you I'll never treat you badly and you are worthy of the greatest act of love that could ever be shown when he gave his life for us if you struggle with abandonment or absence issues he's like I'll never leave you forsake you you know with addiction in your background or whatever you know he, Jesus is the one he shows you the great, His greatest love is not a substance or something else. It's you. He's addicted to you. Anger, you know, isn't going to be His last word toward you. You don't have to worry about that. He's going to always bring His love and redemptive invitation to you. He's not going to control you. He's going to wait for you to receive His love. And He's not a poor communicator. He's made it abundantly clear how He feels about us. God is for us. So own it. Bring it to Jesus. And then share it. Share it with someone else, with others. You know, get it out there. Be vulnerable enough. And you'll find when we do this, is what happens at Mountain all the time. Someone will say, this is my stuff, my brokenness. And someone else says, me too. And there's an instant bond. And all of a sudden we have a step closer to healing happening. And that's what got, when you add Jesus in that mix, good things happen. Yeah. Share your dysfunction in your small group. Talk about it. It'll lose some of its negative power. Silver Celebrate Recovery celebrated 10 years a couple of weeks ago, right? Had a big celebration. Well, last Friday night, 45 people came who were brand new first-time attenders and got into a group to say, "You know what? I'm going to own it. I'm going to bring it to the Lord. I'm going to share it with someone else." 45 people from this church. That's amazing. There could be 45 more next week. Own it, bring it, share it, and that leads you to the last and most important step, which is move past it. Cuz friends, listen. It's true that a dysfunctional family background of whatever kind that we all have is a powerful shaping influence in our life. But the power of God is a more powerful shaping influence. And we can, we can decide whether we're going to sort of be defined by our past and play the victim card or step up and say, God, by your strength, I'm opening my life to now you work in and through my life. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in and through me. By the power of Jesus, will you make me a new creation so that my dysfunctional family is powerful and shaping but does not define me? And that's your call. That's all of our call. Friends, this is important because this is what it takes to grow up. A lot of people never become spiritually mature and never can flourish and experience the joy and goodness that God has for us in our lives because they don't grow up spiritually because they don't grow up emotionally You can't grow up spiritually if you don't grow up emotionally. Do you get that? It happens. You've got to somehow be able to identify and and, and say, it's not going to define me. Let me try to open some scriptures that will help unpack this and make it possible so that all of us aren't thinking, okay, this is for someone else, but really I'm going to go on a journey here of identifying some things that will help me grow forward and experience the love of God in a deeper way in my life. Let me take you back to the Old Testament. Second, Second Kings chapter 21 is one of those places where you see dysfunction in families kind of moving through generations because it takes the whole of a person's life and encapsulates it in a paragraph and moves on to the next life. And the next life It's showing kind of what's happening through the generations. All of us are going to have our lives encapsulated in a paragraph eventually. And the Bible does that for us in Second Kings. And it introduces us to this guy named Manasseh. Everybody say Manasseh. Manasseh. That's a name uh, of a, a really bad dude. He was a king in Judah, reigning in Jerusalem there for 55 years. And for the whole time, he's rotten to the core. He's the most dysfunctional dude, did a lot of bad stuff, and he ingrained this pattern of rottenness deeply into his family and to the whole nation, really. He had good examples around him. He didn't follow him. And in fact, it says in verse 6, one of the things he does is he strays from God. He has messed up priorities. He's very selfish, very controlling and domineering, abusive. And one of the things it says in verse 6 is that he actually sacrificed his own kids on an altar to a foreign god. Kids always pay the price for dysfunction. You reap what you sow. And so this, this generational thing, the Bible says in some places that sometimes generational sin kind of just keeps moving on through from the third and fourth generation. After 55 years of all his mean, messed up dysfunction, some of his dearest friends got together and killed him because they couldn't take anymore. And it says this in verse 18. Manasseh died and was buried in his palace garden, the Garden of Uzzah. And Ammon, his son, succeeded him as king. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king. Some of you identify with Ammon because you grew up in a home like that and you're like, okay, now I'm supposed to be an adult. What am I going to do? And you just started down the same road. And that's what it says in verse 21. He walked in all the ways of his father. And it's exactly what some of us have learned to do. We walked in all the same ways of our fathers and mothers. Some of it was good, some of it was really not so good. Some of you are like, man, that's my story. The anger issues that keep people keep hinting at about me, uh, that, I got that from the old man. I'm a third-generation alcoholic, just like my, my mom and her mom. We never talk about things where I don't know how to really express my feelings. But you know, my wife keeps telling me that, but I get, that's, that's what I saw. I feel like that part of me isn't alive. I don't know how to do that, see? And see, this moves on and on and on through generations. You just pass it on. And I think it's normal, they pass it on. I think it's normal, they pass it on. It's like an unbroken chain It moves on forever until someone breaks the chain. Someone can break the chain. So someone says, it stops here. And that's what happened in the Bible in Judah. There was a courageous young king came to the throne. His name was Josiah. And he had all this inherited junk. And he could have said that's the way it is. But he, it was like a powerful river. This, this dysfunction is like a river. And it just takes people along. You're born in this current. and It just starts taking you. But he steps out of that river into the new current, a new direction, a new river of God's way of doing things, and and he moves in a completely different direction. Verse two says he Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he walked in all the ways of his father David. He picked a different hero, a different set of standards, a different set of values, and he walked in that way. He broke the chain, he says it stops with me. Some of us need to say the same exact thing that I'm going to set a new direction than what the river that I feel like I've been carried in just by default to this point in my life. Because you're going to believe that God can heal, that God has a, a, a better way for you that's based more on the wholeness of Jesus than however good or bad your family was. And that's not a promise for someone else, that's a promise for the rest of us, all of us. So I don't care where, where you are today, I just want to encourage you. Whether you've identified your dysfunction really well, or it's just this vague sense, or you're not even convinced you have any, I don't care. Take a step toward Jesus and trust Him. Just bring whatever you can to Him with as much authenticity as you can muster and He'll start filling holes in your life. He can deal with the lies that abuse has told you. He can deal with the weirdness that addiction has pumped into your brain. Uh, it, it, it can, he can help you with the knee-jerk reactions that are almost like who you are in terms of anger and so forth. Abandonment issues, you know, alcoholism, yelling, whatever it is. Hyper-control. God is a God for the broken. God uses broken things. God delights in broken things. Do you know this? Some of us are like, oh, I suppose God could probably work something out with a broken thing here and there. No, you're not getting it. God chooses. This is God's main way of doing things. This is what, it, this is what the Bible says. It says one time, you know, people look at the cross and they're like, that doesn't even make any sense. It's bro- why would God do that? Lower himself to the cross? That's foolishness. It, it's stupid. Unless God knows what He's doing. Unless there's a plan and God chooses the foolish things to t- confound the wise and the things that are weak to show his greatest strength. And it's at the point of our greatest weaknesses where God in fact shows his power and his healing. This is what listen to this. First 1 Corinthians 1.26. This is words that could have been written to this faith community. Here's the Apostle Paul. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. Think of who you were, okay? Okay, I don't see many of the brightest and best among you. It's like, yeah, amen to that. Look around. Not many influential, no. Not many from high society families, no. Low society, low ball, goofed up, dysfunctional families. That's who you all are. But then it says, isn't it obvious when you look around that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? God chose the nobodies? Precisely to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies who think I'm there, i got a perfect family, look at me, I'm doing things right. (laughs) That makes it quite clear that none of you can, can get by with blowing your own horn before God. I'm so proud, I'm so good, look what I've done, I'm perfect. No, no, no. Everything we have is a gift from God. The ability to think right, to live right, a clean slate of forgiveness, a fresh start in life. It all comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. If you're going to boast, do your boasting because of what God's done in your life. Not because you're so together, but because you're broken and you're just saying, you know what? Everything I have is from God. God works through and with broken people. Yes, He does. Now, some of us still continue to feel like Our dysfunction in our family has so marked us that it's just—it's baked into who we are. It's broken us in a way that we just can't get past. I know some people, you know, who have experienced abuse. They're like, "I'm never going to get past this. I'm too broken." Or, my controlling mother taught me for so long to behave in a certain way. I just feel like I can't get past thinking that way. I've never learned to communicate or I've been taught I was stupid or the reason I'm flirty or the reason I'm whatever. It's like some of us feel like, you know, what I was created, I might have been fairly decent when I came out, you know, somewhat attractive and uh, maybe useful for something. But it's like the, the trauma of, of my life is, has broken me. And now I'm like not that useful and I'm broken and that's how some of you feel have you heard of Kintsugi anybody long time ago there was a Japanese emperor who had a piece of Chinese pottery and It broke and he sent it off to be repaired and they did a bad job. He said, send it back to China. They sent it back to China. And they took that piece of pottery and they took the pieces and they used like gold to put it back together again. And they sent it back. And the emperor looked at it and he loved it. And he said it was more valuable to him than it was before it was ever broken. And it caught on. It became an art form. It's all over. Go look on the, on the Internet. I'll tell you. I can promise you it's more expensive than the bowl you'd buy at the dollar store. I have a piece of kintsugi right here. It's not the expensive kind. It's the somewhat cheap kind. But here it is. It's beautiful. It's been put back together. And in fact, it's more, more beautiful because it's been broken. It's more valuable because it's been broken. Yes, it's useful, but it's got a story and it's got... History and this is what God does with our lives, y'all. You bring the pieces to Jesus. By His wounds, we are healed. Jesus says, Here is my body broken for you, so that you may be healed. To cover and forgive the sin, the shame, the sorrow, and even the dysfunction that works its way into our homes. To put us back together again in a way that we're useful and powerful for him because of what Jesus has done and that's a beautiful thing I encourage you to bring those pieces to Jesus and you know what else when you do that whatever else is going on in your dysfunctional family he brings you into the family of God when you trust Christ as Savior and Lord he brings you into a new family a family with a deeper broader sense of belonging with God as your father Jesus as your brother, the Holy Spirit helping us to hold and join in together in the family of God. My friend Bob, a member of this church, been married for many, many, many years, decades. And when his wife died, you can imagine the hole that left. But you know, we do this thing, we did it Saturday morning here. A bunch of little kids from the church get together and they treat a bunch of our seasoned citizens to breakfast. It's a beautiful event. Here's a picture of that. Here's Bob sitting there. Okay, they're loving on each other, telling stories, singing songs, hugging out. I, I I just I love it. Because in that moment, Bob, you know, he's got a hole in his family, but God is God is the God for those with holes in their family. And he got a little taste of what that feels like the other night or the other day. Night to shine was Friday night. You know what night to shine is? Oh my goodness. This room is filled with special needs kids and adults who are here in their best outfits and tuxes and dresses, and they are eating and drinking and dancing and laughing and having a night. These are people that are often kicked to the curb in terms of how people think about them, and they're often made to feel like they don't belong, but they do belong. And we celebrate them, and we love them. And those special needs kids, they just laugh. And if you look closely as they're dancing around all over in this room, you look closely, you see Jesus right in the middle of them, because that's his family. He's right out there with them. And that's what we want to be for the families of these fallen deputies, to help them see even though their family is hurting, that we can bring the family of God around them. Friends, I don't know where your family really is. I pray you will bring your broken pieces and find your healing in Christ. And when you do, He will bring you to a family of God, and that's the family that you will never lose You'll feel it now on earth and you'll enjoy and dance with Jesus forever with it in eternity. Let me pray for you. God, we ask for your help and encouragement as we look into the mirror and say thank you for the families that have shaped us in good ways and then try to just honestly say, God, will you help us to grow past the limitations of whatever dysfunction we've inherited We bring the pieces of our lives and we ask you to make something beautiful out of us. Something more valuable because of our scars. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.